Welcome to the Changemaker Connect podcast. My name is Ruth and I run an organisation called In Place of War. We believe that creativity conquers conflict. In this series of podcasts, I'll be speaking to some of the most inspiring people we've partnered with across the globe, so you can hear their incredible stories. Over the lockdown, we made a series of conversations led by changemakers across the world. One such person was Ellie from Brazil. For me, it was not only the most moving, but the most powerful of all the conversations we had. She touched on a subject that is not talked about, hard to hear and hard to understand. This will be a difficult conversation and I can't sit here and be silent in my perspectives and experiences too. Throughout my life, I've experienced sexism, violence and trauma inflicted by men. We all live in a world within cultures where it is impossible to talk about these things, but we really have to. So welcome to Ellie. How are you and how's the pandemic treating you? Hi, Ruth. I'm very glad to be here today with you. Um, I love your project and everything that you guys do in IPOL here in Brazil. Yeah, it's, it's madness because we have a vaccination plan that our health minister just said that it's going to be on the D-Day on the age time. And we don't know when we're going to get the vaccine. So we're just like going bananas and yeah, having to work. And yeah, people just are not at home anymore. You know, we have to work. So we didn't yeah. have anything about the government doing shit. So we just like basically kept going. We using a lot of alcohol, 70%. And yeah. That's it, cleaning everything and using masks. That's all we can do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very yeah, it's a similar similar situation in the UK. You know, we're in lockdown here and it's it's it feels like it's we're in this for a while yet. It doesn't feel like in any sense that it's getting any easier or any better, I think, yeah. in you know, certainly in both of our both of our countries. But we're not here today to talk about the yes. pandemic as such. <laughs> we're here to talk about kind of your work and experiences. So I wanted to start right at the beginning. Um, and I just wanted you to tell me about your kind of your earlier years, your your life um, in Brazil, your your kind of childhood and teenage years. And just kind of, you know, where, where you were based and what, what your life has been like. Yeah, so I was born in Brasilia, Brazil, where I live today, but I moved a lot. And, um, yeah, I was born here, but I went away when I was two because my father got a job in another state that it was a very poor state. It was a, okay, because we're, we're divided in states here, um, in the Republic. So I live in the federal district now, Brasilia is in the federal district and I had to move to a state called Tocantins. And, um, yeah, it was pretty weird because it was a new state, so they were still building the capital of the state. So it was very, it was a very small city that we were based on. And, yeah, the childhood, the childhood was happy. My mom is amazing, my dad, okay. But my dad has some, I don't know how to say in English, um, ha- um, mental health issues, he has a, a violence issue, so he was a very a very aggressive man because he doesn't produce um, not adrenalina. That is something that we reduce the adrenalina when he's mad, the adrenaline when he's mad. And yeah. so he would beat a lot of my mom and all his wives. Actually, he beat up them, and he was when he had those crises, he would be totally mental and he would forget who he wore and he would tell us to watch. It was very heavy. So, like, when I was a child, I, I, I built my dad image, you know, my animus from Freud. You know, he says we have an animus. And my animus was violence, you know. The image yeah. of man that I built to myself was violence. And the city that we lived in, it had 10,000 people. And they had a rate of 1,000 rapes per year. That's like wow. 10% of the population. <laughs> it's really fucked up. That's so, really, really crazy. Yeah, it was a very crazy city. It was the 90s, you know, another time. So, so yeah, I was born in the 80s, but my childhood was in the 90s and it was really harsh. So I, I, I left home when I was 15. I said, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be with these people anymore. Still loving my dad and my mom because they were my dad and my mom, but still I didn't want to be there. So yeah. I went out, so I started working when I was 15, 
and I moved to, back to Brasilia, and I started, I, I kept on studying, but still working. It was weird because I, it, at my class, you know, nobody worked. <laughs> it was like me yeah. and no one else. And I was raising myself, you know, until so my sister, my older sister, she moved in to, with me when I was 18. And we started taking care of each other, and then I started having some... And, you know, there's a lot of crap going on, like, with sexual assaults in between those times. So my sister went back home, and she started living with me, and I got some... I started taking medicine. I have... I don't know the word in English. It's transtorno de depressão maior. It would be, like, a depression disorder with anxiety. Okay. And I started taking medicine and taking care of myself. And I don't know, something that gave me a lot of strength was working with culture, but with social projects, you know, helping women and helping women that were also assaulted or that had something in their paths also. And because I left home with 15, I didn't have the basis, the moral basis of the traditional families. So I started building my own and the LGBTQIPA community just embraced me. And mm. so gender started being something that I started to advocate in also. With. So, so can I just come in there, Ellie? And mm -hmm. I think, you know, I'm really, there's so much in, in terms of like your, your history and your upbringing, I guess that has influenced the work that you do now and the kind of mission that you have now. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back to what you've just touched on about gender, because when you did your, um, did your talk for us, you talked about the many different genders that there are. I was just wondering if you could t tell me a bit more about that. Yes, of course, because like we are born and it's interesting about the word gender, right? Because when we say gender in Portuguese, we say gênero and gênero for us, it's a group of things. It can be a group of people, of things. It's just a term that establishes groups, you know, it doesn't establishes um, sex, biological sex. It doesn't have that relation, the basis of the world. So gender in Brazil, in Brazil, because of morality, of everything that we have from a colonial perspective, because we are a colonized country, and the world also started, because when you divide, you conquer, right? So you started polarizing everything and becoming, and building this war of male oppressing female, so if you have just two sides of the coin, you know, two sides of history, it's easier to domain, to control. So... We have this perspective that gender is binary, you know, it's just binarism is a strategy of control of power. And for me, no, like after a while, I started looking and understanding gender as a way of grouping yourself with identification. So there was a performer in Brazil that was called Vera Veronica, and everybody read her, you know, saw her as a transgender woman but she wasn't a transgender woman she was light and it's very interesting because there's an interview when they ask but are you a man or a woman or a female and she says i am gender light because i am enlightened you know so you can mm. have genders of everything that you can relate it a color you can be the gender green you can be ego gender you know if you want like ruth ruth can be your gender like i'm not a male or a female i am ruth you know mm. i'm ruth gender and you can be that mm. if you want so i think that's very important for us to understand you know that we have a, a huge huge spectrum of identification that has nothing to do with binarism that has nothing to do with your biological biological sex and understand that this is a technology that was developed to, you know, control society and to, you know, build up the economical and political structure. Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? And I think, you know, moving on from that, in thinking, when you think about the word feminism, what does that mean to you? Yeah, it used to mean something else. And that's very interesting because when I started studying feminism after my my sexual assault when I was 18. I started looking at feminism and being in touch with feminism through a very privileged perspective, a white perspective, because I am a white female, even though I am Latina. Um, my phenotype is it's white in Brazil. And I started reading everything from European writers, you know, like Du Beauvoir and etc. And... I don't know, like Françoise de Bouin with Le Feminisme ou la Mort, and 
I don't know, it's interesting from a kickstart, you know, for us to understand where, what, where is the basis of feminism through history, like the suffragists in the 20s, you know, and then you have the second movement in the 60s for us to have to work, and then we have the third movement now in 2015 with the digital era, era, but the thing is that our feminism, the way that we see, is very restricted. It's very privileged. And when mm. we see feminism through the black eyes, when we see, we see through the black w women, you know, when we started studying Sojourney, like Sojourney was writing about feminism in the 1900s, you know. She was talking about socialism before Karl Marx, and she was a mm. black female writer. And then when we started reading, like, Kimberly Crayshaw, that she talks about intersectional, intersectionalism, and we started seeing, like, Alice Walker with the, in Portuguese, is mulherismo, mulherismo pan-africano would be, like, womanism, I don't know what is in English, but it's very interesting because we see that they fight for, for the female movement, like, way before any white writer and before any of us could say anything. They were being sexually ob objectified way before us. They yeah. were were working before us. They were fighting before us. So they rep represent us white women. We don't represent them. So feminism for me nowadays, when I also started seeing the transgender community and started understanding a little bit about gender, I can see that feminism is something that embraces everything that touches what is to be woman, you know, yeah. in any sense of the word. So when we, we start reaching what is feminism, it's interesting for us to reach for authors or writers that, or anyway, people that understand what is to be women in totality, not yeah. only what interests us, like what benefits us individual, you know, because feminism, feminism is a social tool. And everything that is social must embrace all society, not only just a share, not only just a piece, you know. Mm. And and that kind of leads on to having a kind of understanding of what is the reality and the situation to be a woman in Brazil yeah. right now. Yeah, <laughs> now we have a fascist president, you know, a fascista. Mm. And we have a lot of states in Brazil that it's aligned with the federal government. And we are passing through a very hard moment where we see the rights that we fought like for so long being crushed by, <clears throat> by judges and, you know, by, by congressmen. And they're just like overseeing laws. And I don't know, our governments nowadays, they are simply empowering supremacist speeches, you know, supremacist ideal um, point of views. And mm. that's very, I don't know, frustrating. But also, we, we just have to keep on fighting, you know. We just have to keep on yep. searching. And I think that's the beautiful part of working with culture and art because we can feed ourselves and, you know, fill ourselves with this fuel that is emotion and that is feeling and that is the complexity of being human, you know. And I think empathy for me nowadays doesn't go only with who needs it, like women or black people or indigenous or immigrants. No, for me, empathy should go also to Bolsonaro, you know. A lot of people disagree with me. But for health issues, you know, like for mental health care, I think it's interesting when we pull the word empathy and use it for the rapist and we use empathy for the aggressor, for the assaulter, because everyone is a, a project, you know, uh, we're objects of the systems. We were built for that, you know, mm. and some people don't have the strength. Some people are just put it in another arrow, you know, they're pointed in another direction. So... I, I like nowadays for being happy and for still having strength to fight is thinking that those people need compassion, you know. And this is how I built myself in Brazil as a woman nowadays, embracing, mm -hmm. my, embracing myself with emotions and 
understanding and study the complexity of humans and trying just to understand through empathy what they feel so I can try to build something to change the world with society, society society being everyone, even the people that we don't like, you know, and that we don't agree. Mm. So that kind of leads on nicely to, I'd really like to talk more about the work that you do and the experiences you've had, although they might be, I guess, quite difficult to talk about. But before we do that, Ellie, I've asked Mm -hmm. you to select a few tracks today. So would you like to introduce the first track and why why you've decided to go with this track? Yes. So... I'm very now in the pandemic. In the pandemia, I was very into the '90s, like um, nostalgia, because I thought that I saw that a lot of artists didn't launch anything. We we had a strange year for music, you know. But in the strange year for music, I started looking for versions, contemporary versions of the '90s, <laughs> and I stumbled myself with, uh, you know, the the song "Bitch, I'm a Bitch, I'm a Liar," but in the version of Ruby Amafu, I think this is amazing, and I like the lyrics because, like, I, I think it's so on point, like, I hate the world today, you know, <laughs> I'm a bitch, mm. I'm a lover, I'm a child, I'm a mother, I'm a sister, I'm a son, we're everyone, so, as we were speaking, the complexity of the human being, I think this is a very funny lyric, because she can, you know, see the, the multi-faces of what is to be women, or mm. what is to be woman, but in the version of Ruby Amanfu, because I think it's very deep, this version, it's very interesting. Amazing, well, let's have a listen. to me I know but I can't change tried to tell you but you look at me like maybe I'm an angel underneath innocent and sweet I'm a bitch I'm a lover I'm a child I'm a mother, I'm a sinner, I'm a saint I do not feel ashamed Yesterday I cried You must have been relieved to see softer side I can understand how you'd be so confused I don't envy you I'm a little bit of everything all rolled into one I'm a bitch I'm a lover I'm a child I'm a mother I'm a sinner I'm a saint I do not feel ashamed I'm your we've talked kind of more broadly about feminism, gender, about what it is to be a woman in Brazil, which I imagine is incredibly, incredibly difficult. My experiences of being in Brazil, although limited, you know, I I have felt and seen and witnessed um, kind of violence towards women while I've been there. And I think this happens, you know, this happens the world over. This is not, you know, this is a, this is a global issue. Um, I wanted to ask you about 
the experiences that you've touched on in the beginning of this of this podcast, talking about an assault that happened when you were 18. And I guess that moment has impacted so profoundly on you that it has led you to not only be the amazing woman you are today, but to to kind of, I guess, have a mission in your life to make change and advocate for change for women. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that moment and what that meant for you. Yes. Um, the thing is that I was in my life, I suffered three sexual assault assaults. It was only, it was not that only that one was the one that I found straight strength, strength on it, you know? But, um, yeah, because I was at a party and I got really drunk and this, I was 17 and this 40-year-old guy that was friends with a friend, he just took me, he said he was going to take me home, but he took me to a motel and I was really, really wasted and I didn't want that. So when it happened, it happened with a little violence and I felt guilty because I was drunk, you know, and very wasted and intoxicated, so... I think most women, when I, I, I started working later with an ONG, with an organization that used to help women that was sexually assaulted, and it was very interesting because all of them that were sexually assaulted as, uh, in a situation of vulnerability, you know, when they were to- intoxicated, they most of them don't think that what happened was rape, what happened was something that shouldn't happen because they feel guilty because they put themselves in that situation. But they don't, they didn't, you know. And that gave me a lot of strength, but there's something that I think that I say to all the, that I learned in this organization that I think is very powerful, that we have to stop calling ourselves victims because we're not victims, we're survivors. And the thing, the difference is that the victim, the victim stays stuck in that moment where she keeps on reliving it, this moment in her inconscience and in her conscience also. And... The victim grabs in pain, you know. She lives through her uh, aggressor. She hates the aggressor. The survival, no. The survival survives. She passes through something hard and difficult and horrible. But she takes that as fuel. She takes that as a gasoline so she can put her heart in flames and work with that fuel and say, this was important to me. And it was very hard for me to say out loud. And nowadays I can say out loud that it was very important to me for that to happen, you know. Yeah. It's not that I like, it's not that, but it's it's I, I embrace this and I think I think this this makes this makes me who I am and I love myself. So I love everything that hurt me and that made me who I am. So to be a survival is something that is much empowerful, you know. And I think I think that's right. I think I think what you just said there about it being fuel, it's like you can either go in two directions when these kind of really traumatic things happen. You can go in the di- in the direction of being the victim and clinging on to this moment, or you can use it as fuel yes. to make change, to make change in yourself and to make change for other people. So I think that's just so, such an interesting perspective in terms of how you define this these these traumatic events. Yes, and and when we. And when we think about violence towards women in Brazil, I remember you gave me some statistics when we spoke last time that shocked me to my very core. I don't know if you'd like to talk about some of these kind of statistics around the percentage of, of women that have experienced violence in Brazil. Yes. Um, the Secretary of National Security every year publishes some data and the data are you know, very terrifying. And the thing is that we started studying for for a project that we do that embraces women in vulnerability moments in events, in big events. And, like, the first one that is absurd is that in every two minutes, a woman will suffer some type of violence in Brazil. This is the 2019 annual report. The 2020 is, is, isn't, it's, it hasn't been published yet. And 53% of those women that suffered those types of violence are under 14. And this, this is very bizarre. And, and we have 85% of women in Brazil will be sexually molested in some point of her life. This is another bizarre statistic. 
that is 60,480 rapes, rapes, we're not talking about sexual molestation, we're talking about rapes, it's 60,480 rapes per year, it's an average of 180 rapes per day, that's a very powerful statistic also, and when we're talking about events, it's very bizarre because 82% of women have been assaulted in carnival parties and 92% have been harassed in June parties. That is so weird because June in parties in Brazil, there are family parties. You know, you take your kids to that. You wow. take drink soup and jump the fire. That's a lot. Of, it's a very regional. But that's very weird. It would be like, I don't know, think about... I can even not put... Um, parallel to a London party but I don't know it's a, it's a family no, party like maybe you know? like a, maybe like going to a wedding or like having a barbecue in the yes. garden or something like this perfect and it's, and it's just it's strange isn't it because you kind of think oh you can you know in a club where it's busy and it's people are drinking lots of alcohol but when you have children around it feels feels yeah. so wrong but I think one of the things that I've noticed in the the women that I know who have been raped and who have had uh, sexual violence um, towards them is it really can happen anywhere you know, it can happen on a doorstep outside your own house. It can happen with your, with your, um, with like a relations partner. It's, it just can come out of nowhere. Yes, there's, there's a data, there's a data on that also, because like 70% of the rapes in Brazil will happen with someone you know, that yeah. you're related to. This is it. And I think it's, it's just a culture of people being able to get away with it. And I know recently, because I've been going through a situation around domestic violence towards me, and, and, and it, there, is this, there is this fear of, of, you know, you go to the police, but the processes are so difficult yeah. and everything is against you. So I guess, you know, a lot of these things just don't get reported because people think, well, it's going to be traumatic, you and and in a sense, I think when you go to the when you go to the police, yeah. you you are the victim because mm -hmm. you are reliving this moment over and over again. Yes. And then it's about evidence and it's about proof. And of course, with so many incidents of sexual assault, there is it's it's a very difficult thing to to prove to make a case for. And then of course, your life is dissected in front of your eyes. And it's like you said, it's because you were wearing a certain outfit or because you were in a you were drunk or whatever. It becomes so difficult. And I've been I've found that with the things that have happened in my life recently, that the systems are completely not set up to no. protect and to support women. And I think it takes very brave women to take this to take these systems on, knowing that inevitably they may completely fail. And so what I was really inspired about with you, Ellie, is that you have taken these traumatic experiences and this kind of, these horrendous statistics in Brazil, and then you've tried to find solutions. And obviously working in events and festivals, can you tell us a little bit more about the projects that you have, um, that you have developed to help protect women in these busy spaces in Brazil. Yes, of course. Um, first of all, I would say I would like to say that I'm so sorry um, for your situation, and I am sending all my love to you and all the thank you thoughts of cure that I can send to your womb and your heart. You know, because it's thank tough. You. It's very very tough because it's us. You know. And the yeah. projects that we build, it's a reflection of that. And it's beautiful to put another meaning, another meaning to this. It's very powerful. And yeah. you do that. And that's beautiful, you know. It's, it's the most beautiful thing that we can do through the situations. And uh, the thing that we do here, that we're trying to do, I always put um, women representation in my projects since I began to work with art. And always looking for women in power positions and putting them in coordinations and in creative um, positions also of work. But the one thing that we developed was a platform called Reverbera. It's a platform that we put producers, women, female producers, together so we can talk and discuss with our projects. And it's a platform, actually, it's a... How can I explain it? It's a... We, we joke, we say it's a spa for producers, you know, because it's where we meet and we say, we're so tired, I have two kids, I am married, I travel too much, I have three jobs, and we just go there so we can 
build a system of love for the producers so they can relax and in the end of the year and start the beginning of the year with more you know power with more strength and yeah. the other one that we do also it was a project it was a research project that we did with protocols that is called count on me that is a project that we built to reduce um, violence against women in big events and we're talking about events with more than a hundred thousand people going through and it's hard because we have to study a lot of the premises and we have to build protocols with the staff and we have to train the the companies and we have to train the workers and we have to reach them in a very human sense of touch you know because we can build a talk and say statistic and talk to them about numbers and about awareness but if we don't go where their hearts pump you know we, we are not reaching them so we started trying to build with psychologists we started trying to build protocols that were they were humanized protocols so we can know the worker and we can reach them so when they embrace the women the public that were assaulted or suffered some kind of violence, we can reach them in a human sense. We can reach them mm -hmm. with empathy and love, and that's the work and in a very, you know, um, summoned way to say, you know, because it's it's a it's a long work. We 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 we're studying this for a while, and we still are, you know, evolve evolving a lot of the tools. But every festival, I work in a couple of festivals, but every festival we do, we try to put that, some protocols on it and put female representation. And now I am embracing also the LGBT community in that, mm -hmm. those projects also, because when we're talking about transgender women, we're talking about a whole different scenario yeah. because they are assaulted. They, they suffer violence from other cisgender women, you know, in bathrooms, buying a drink. They are always being violated by sites, by, you know, um, offenses, verbal offenses. So now we're trying to build something that we can embrace and build a safe space also for transgender and non-binary female. There are also in those events. Yeah, and and... I think that's, yeah, that's really important, isn't it? I think, you know, de definitely transgender people are subject to so much more in terms of violence. And, and, and could you give a few examples of the sorts of initiatives that you put into place? I remember you talked about a, a, a service that would walk... You mentioned yes, that one of the peak areas in terms of people being, being subject to violence was when they were leaving yeah. the club or the festival and going to their taxi. So can you explain... What, what you did there? Yeah, so we did a focal group with a lot of women with the average age between 18 and 30 years. And we use a tool that is called Rapid Participa Participatory Diagnosis. And there we found out that 100% of the women that were interviewed were already sexually harassed at a party at some point. 100% were sexually harassed at a carnival party. 100% thought that the parking lot in their way out of a party was where they most felt vulnerable. 100% didn't felt safe with security guards. They also felt unsafe waiting for a ride or Uber. 72% um, have been sexually assaulted at a party. That was so bizarre, the statistic, because it's different to being harassed than to being assaulted. And 60% didn't trust the staff for help. And 100% didn't trust the police if they were alone. So we started building some um, some points, something that we could do. And one of them was a safe stand that we created. So a booth that they couldn't see it was in the entrance of the party. So every woman that were walking on the party would see the big stand and could talk with someone there and grab some, some plan pamphlets, some awareness pamphlets from our female secretary. Um, and we also created a private room for victim care that was right next to the healthcare center because sometimes the women are so intoxicated and so inebriated that they need to have medical assistance most of the time, actually. And we created and trained the sister. The sister was, we call Mana. It was a psychologist. They were psychologists and producers. And they would, you know, talk to them with the protocol and everything. 
And we also did a graphic campaign through the whole venue, in bathrooms, and everywhere you go, we would pass a video, an awareness video, every intermission of shows, in between shows. And we created the Go Safe Action that was girls with signs that would walk you to your car with a security guy. And we had to create them with the sisters because the sisters should walk them to the car because girls don't feel safe. We trust each other. We don't trust men. So we would have a security guard with us, but we need the women to say, I'm going to walk you to your car because they would feel safer. And we also created a safe drink code that was called Mona Libre, that if the girl was with her assaulter or her aggressor and he was really close and she couldn't ask for help because she was afraid, she could ask for the drink to any one of the staff if she asked for someone like, where can I find the Mona Libre or... How much is the Mona Libre or can you can you give me a Mona Libre? There would be a code, an SOS code for uh, her to be helped at the site. There was a lot of things also with the training and other protocols that we developed, but these are the, the, the bullet points, the main ones. No, that's all, that's all amazing and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because you think, you know, we sort of operate in these systems in, in the whole of society that have all been defined by men. But of course you think, you know, you go to a club, you know, how, how, you, you, don't, you don't think about that experience from a woman's perspective necessarily, or certainly it's not often talked about. But when you talk about it like this, it's a complete cultural shift in terms of how people experience their experience, a woman's experience of being in a club or being in a festival yeah. and making changes so that they are safe. And it's interesting when you talked about, you know, it's even people in trusted positions, security, police, you know, the, the, assault can still happen in those circumstances I was in Brazil I was in Rio I was um some some things were taken from my bag I went to the police and the police after I, they they interviewed me they then took me behind the cells and they tried to they tried to kind of kiss me and and, and yeah. things like this and and it was crazy and I was like these are police you know and I'd had some drinks you know so this is this is where it all becomes difficult you know it's like but I definitely didn't want that to happen yeah. and so so for me it's about like you said women trust women and I think having a, a larger presence of women in these spaces who can help make women feel safe is just really really powerful and I think for me your initiative is is so inspiring that it makes me think you know that we in the UK should be having these conversations and I don't I don't think we are you know and I'm, I'm sure that this happens so frequently here um so before we move on to talking about the future and, and so on I, I'd like to ask you to introduce your your second track today. yes um I, I chose a track that is um originally is from Nirvana but <laughs> I discovered that Shanae O'Connor, she made a version that I also think is more powerful. And the thing that I am choosing two versions of original songs, because sometimes I think, well, we can grab from someone that made that, but we can make something that it's like the world. The world built us, was built for us, for us women as a very dangerous place. But we can take that and make our own version. So I think that Shania O'Connor did a, a beautiful version of this song from Nirvana that is called All Apologies, that a lot of people know, of course. Mm -hmm. And I think the lyric, it's, it's beautiful because they say, like, what else should I be? All apologies. What else should I say? Everyone is gay. What else should I write? I don't have the right. What else should I be? I'm all apologies. Like, but in the sun, I feel as one. I feel married. I feel buried. And I right. think this is a very powerful lyric and... I, I bring this today for us with the Shania Connor version. Amazing. Let's have a listen. What else should I be? All apologies. What else should I say? Everyone is gay. What else could I I don't have the right What else should 
过西风雪。Sunburn with freezer burn. Choking on the ashes of her enemy. In the sun, in the sun, I feel as one. In the sun, in the sun, I'm mad. One of the questions is, is do, you know, following on from the initiatives that you've rolled out, what were there any challenges that you faced in kind of in kind of getting this off the ground, and was there any resistance from men? Yes, always, because at, we are at a time after thir- the third movement of the feminist movement, you know, the third wave in 2015 with the g- digital era. We have men nowadays trying to say they are. This being disconstructed, but they are not. We're not. You know, we're trying, but we cannot discon- deconstruct something that is so structural. It's like the the columns of a building. You know, they they hold the building. If you break them, the building goes down. And the thing is that we have some the structuralism. Destructural, I don't know how to say that word. Structural. Uh, I don't know how to say it in English. I'm sorry. Sorry. Say it's structuralism. I, yeah, it's structuralism. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a hard word for me. And yes, for something that is so socially structured, we we can't hope that what repre- represents this oppression in their core that are cisgender men, white men. We cannot wait that they will understand you fully or they will understand a cause fully. I say again the word empathy because I believe that we can advocate for um, social groups if we have suffered also. So, like for instance, white women can have empathy with black women, with indigenous communities and etc. because we suffered violence all through our lives. But it's very hard when we're talking about the peak of the privileged pyramid, when we're talking about the top of the pyramid, and we're talking about white cisgender men, because I don't know if they struggle structurally to have empathy for the causes. And it's very hard to find a white cisgender man that really deeply emotionally understands the fight and the struggles. So when we're trying to put these projects on practice, we always have difficulty talking with the CEOs, with the security guards, with the officers, yeah. with the government, with everyone. It's always so hard to make them understand because if they emotionally could reach and touch and feel just a second of what we're saying, the support, the the budget would be others, you know, the time for that work would be another, everything would be different. So the the struggles, I can like relate a thousand situations, but I think the core of the things is structural, you know, and everything we can do is just try to reach them in a human sense and try to talk to them. Like when, when you felt pain, can you tell me when you were little, when you were fragile, do you remember when you were fragile in any point of your life? How was it? Can you tell me? And then we can try to transform that with empathy so they can understand and started fighting with us and trying to tell them, you are not my enemy. You're just a person that suffers in this structural society. So help me break this. This will be good for you also, you know. This is the hard part. But we day after day, we can break another, another tile. We can, like, break another stone. And someday, I think, we can reach the structures and break the whole building. And that's it, isn't it? It's bit by bit, I guess, you know, piece by piece. Yes. And it feels like it's it's far away. Things change very, very slowly. And 
like you said, you know, old white men in power try to maintain that power. And of course, you know, when we think about the real challenges that we face, you know, we think about the the inequality that we face. That is part of this as well, you know, men having power, the elites having, having holding everything. And it, it's kind of like we need to smash this up. And I think you doing what you do is a big part of that. And I think, you know, in terms of what your vision of of a of the future is like what would you like to see certainly over the next decade over the next 10 years what is the kind of change that you think you'd like to see particularly relevant to brazil in terms of women and their position and transgender people in their position in brazil yes i would like to go back in history and blow up europe <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I am decolonial, so when I see where this begins, you know, for Latin American people and for Africa and for Asia, like, there was this old continent that devastated the world and created binarism and just built a technology for being superior, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the structure here, and the thing is that, like, for me, I, I would like to build a time machine and just grab someone that was trying to explore another continent and say please don't do that stop doing this because it's very hard but when we're talking about things that are reachable you know doable because we cannot like build a time machine um yeah. what what i think we, we should do is trying to change ourselves like my, micro politics i think that's the way like when we can build something different in our own tiny communities we can build in a, a butterfly effect and the chaos theory is here to support this because if I move something in my room that empowers me or if I hug a friend or if I hug you, Ruth, in your difficult, difficult times of struggling with something that is so deep for you and if I can embrace you and share even a tiny moment of love and that changes you and that makes you a change maker also and it embraces you and empowers you as a change maker, you can keep on going and making your changes and that will build an effect in other people and it's going to be like a domino effect. So I believe in domino effect through love and yeah. through constructing something that is positive, not building enemies. And I think this is the hard part because we we are so used to personalize everything in the individual sense. And I think when we reach to the individual, we must reach with love, empathy and, you know, with humanity. And when we're reaching the structure, we need to feel mad and angry and fight and destroy. But when we're talking about another person, we have just to hug them and love them and try mm -hmm. to reach them so she can be a part of the domino effect. So I believe that the future should be micropolitics with a lot of love and building something in our own community so it can reverberate, so we can reach the world, you know, that's what I think. I think that's really interesting and it's been echoed so much in so many of the conversations that we've been having on these podcasts and within the, the, the work that we've been doing, which is around change from within. You know, you, you have the power when you think about perhaps, you know, somebody who's, who's based in a refugee camp in Palestine who has, very, mm. who has, has their life chances very limited, but they can control their own mind. And it's about freedom and change in your own mind. But then, like you said change at the micro level, changing communities. So many people have talked about, you know, going to make your next door neighbor a cup yeah. of tea or coffee and, 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 and change. And then it has this kind of ripple or butterfly effect, as you said. Yeah. And I think that's so important to remember in a time when we have Bolsonaro, you know, we, we have the chaos of, of America. Here in, where I am in the UK, we have these political systems that seem so far away that we feel like, we have no agency. We can't change this. You know, we try, but actually the change is is not there. It's it's in our own communities. It's making our own lives better, more positive, more equal. So I think everything you've said really resonates and leads me to asking you to select um, your final track of today. Yes. Um, the final track is a track that I forgot and I was listening to some music last week. And I, I told you that I was very nostalgic with the 90s. So I remember 
that I, when I was 15, 14, I loved Silverchair. <laughs> and I remember a song from Silverchair that is from the Diorama CD, the, the Diorama album. And it's called World Upon Your Shoulders from Silverchair. And this is, this is the song that, you know, lights me, lights my heart with gasoline in a positive way. And it says, like, all the bridges in the world won't save you if there is no other side to cross to. But when you're feeling, when you're not feeling ugly, when the world is not too much, take the world upon your shoulders, take the world upon your shoulders and burn, 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 and take the world upon your shoulders. And there's a poet in Brazil that is called Machado de Assis, and he has a poem that is called My World, My Shoulders, I'm sorry, My Shoulders Can Take On the Weight of the World. And I think this is very powerful when you can, when you're not feeling ugly, when you're not feeling sad, when you are not lost, when you're happy, when you're strong, breathe in and take the world upon your shoulders and just burn, you know, just keep on going. And that's the, the song that I choose. Amazing. Okay, let's have a listen.
So it's been amazing for you to join us. I think your story is remarkable. And I, I just, for me, it's so inspiring that you, as you said, you took something that was really challenging and you made it fuel for all of these incredible actions that you've made since, which for me is, is everything. It's, it's how, you know, it's just so wholly positive. And I love your outlook on all of this. Um, so I just want to end by asking you a few quick questions. Um, first of all, is there a person that is your role model and very briefly why? Yes, I at first when I thought that about that, I thought about you and your project mm. because <laughs> it's really inspiring. But so I, flattering. <laughs> I'm gonna choose a, a woman that is called Adriana Lodi. She was my theater professor when I was twenty and she taught me that with her actions that a woman can be strong, brutal as she can be sweet, as she can be a bitch, as she can be the most loving person in the world. And she showed me that we are multi-dimension. We have multi-dimensions in ourselves. And she's one of the powerful role models that I can see because I love my mother, but she wasn't there. And Adriana, she was a mother figure of empowerment. So all my love to her. And then... The next question is, what do you do when you aren't changing the world? What do I do? Self-care. Nowadays, self-care because I go to my multiple therapies. I work out. I take some baths. I walk with my dog. I listen to a lot of music. I read shitty novels. I binge watch stupid sitcoms and laugh and say, the world's so stupid, so good, like... Um, chick flicks, teenager movies, I don't care. I'm not going to be in my free time. I'm not going to be intellectual. I'm just going to be stupid and funny yeah. and have a blast, yeah. you know. Amazing. And three words that summarize you and your work. Um, I think it would be empathy, struggle, and self-care. Nice, okay. And then, finally, is there a quote that you live your life by? Oh, this is a hard one. Yes, the other day, she's a, she's British, I think, even. I was, oh shit, just a second. Oh no, I'm trying to find here. Okay, just a tiny <laughs> second, because <laughs> I wrote it here, but I just lost it because it's in my cell phone. Yeah, she, it's, uh, she's British, but I think, she lives in the UK. Her name is Najwa Zebian. I don't know if you heard of her. And no, I think it was very interesting because she said that there's a, a couple of, of quotes from her. She's a poet. And she says that um, people usually are not going to think like you. What makes sense to you don't necessarily make sense to another. Always try to communicate with your core and communication this is the the sentence that summarizes everything because we have yeah. to understand that bolsonaro and all the fascists in the world and the most horrible archetypes sometimes all we need is to communicate in a very deep level so we can find something to construct positively so i think to understand that people are different than us and not to make their our enemies it's yeah. very important to keep on fighting i agree with that 100 percent. okay well ellie that's been it's been so inspiring it's always amazing to hear from you and to hear your perspective on on the world thank you so much and i know these conversations aren't easy 
Um, so thank you for sharing that with, with, you know, with, with everyone that will listen to this and hopefully it will inspire others to also make positive change, particularly around women and transgender um, challenges that we face in society. So thank you so much. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And congratulations on everything that you guys do. Like, kudos. You inspire me always. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe.